This is uh, Dr. Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Katie O'Brien, um, who is the lead author on a manuscript titled Association of Powder Use in the Genital Area with Risk of Ovarian Cancer in JAMA. Dr. Katie O'Brien is with the Epidemiology Branch at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences in the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for having me. So, Katie, first of all, obviously, congratulations. Uh, uh, such an important publication um, and a very, very, obviously, important topic. Um, so we wanted to discuss, uh, perhaps, obviously, one, one of the most controversial uh, topics in gynecologic oncology, uh, and that's been the, the, the presumed relationship uh, between the use of talcum powder and ovarian cancer. And this has been ongoing for many years. I think back even to my residency was many, many, many years ago. Um, and, uh, and certainly, obviously, th there's been literature either in favor of this theory and literature against this theory. So I was wondering if we can start by um, asking and telling us uh, what led you to doing this study and, and why did you consider it uh, relevant at this point? Yeah, so I think it's relevant because we still don't know the answer. Um, mm -hmm. We don't know whether a child can, be, can cause ovarian cancer. Um, and so in conducting this research, I wanted to pull together the best available data that we have on the topic, which was uh, information from more than 250,000 women participating in four long-term observational studies uh, in the United States. Mm -hmm. And and before we get into the, the details of the study, uh, Katie, I was wondering if you can tell us um, what is it about talcum powder that makes it a, a carcinogen? And uh, also, it, it's in the way that it's formally uh, uh, manufactured as to opposed to currently uh, manufactured, is it the same that, that it was in many, many years ago? What's the theory behind why talcum powder causes cancer or potentially causes cancer? Yeah. So most powders contain talc, but the levels do vary. So I'm going to talk about uh, powder use more generally rather than um, talcum. Um, also, some of the studies asked about use a little bit differently. So mm -hmm. um, powder use... Uh, Powder use is considered a more general term, okay. um, and specifically, I'm talking about it as applied to the genital area. So, powder is potentially carcinogenic because it may irritate and inflame the tissues of the reproductive tract. Um, it can be particularly dangerous, uh, potentially, if it contains asbestos, which is an established carcinogen. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason it might contain asbestos is that asbestos and talc are mined uh, in the same location sometimes, and so sometimes you see some elements of asbestos in the talc. Um, the manufacturers of cosmetic talc uh, did agree to a ban of asbestos on their products in 1976, hmm. um, but it is a self-imposed ban, and it is possible that there are still some modern modern products that contain asbestos. Right. So um, I also wanted to just have a, a sense from you, um, your thoughts regarding the, the literature that's been out there. And, and of course, obviously, there's been a lot of discussion, debates, uh, some advocating for the validity, uh, some against it. Um, the, the association of ever-use powder in the genital area and ovarian cancer. Uh, what are your thoughts, and uh, do you have any criticisms of that literature? Sure. 
So first of all, I want to say that I have a lot of respect for the previous studies on this topic. Ovarian cancer is a really rare disease, and it's therefore very difficult to study. And I applaud a lot of the work that's been done to investigate this important public health question. Um, however, one of my main criticisms is that much of the previous literature is based on studies that are conducted retrospectively, which means that, that um, cases are interviewed after they've been diagnosed and they're asked about their potential exposure um, before their diagnosis. Uh, and this opens up the possibility of something called recall bias, mm -hmm. which is a uh, systematic difference in reporting between cases and non-cases. Um, and for this topic in particular, there's some evidence to suggest that recall bias is really important, um, especially once the lawsuits started, so if they uh, in the early 2010s, um, that cases are more likely to report use than non-cases, um, just because of the timing and being aware that there's this possible connection between genital powder use and ovarian cancer. So we're not entirely sure that we can trust the results of the retrospective studies and whether um, the positive results that they've reported are at least partially explained by uh, this recall bias issue. And Katie, I was wondering, have there been any other types of cancers that are associated with the, the use of uh, genital talcum powder? Um, the strongest evidence is for ovarian cancer. Um, there's been a little bit of work on uterine cancer as well, but the results have been much less compelling. Yeah. So now on to your study, the study that was published in JAMA. Um, tell us a little bit about your study design and the primary objective of the study. And I was also wondering if you can uh, give us some of the information uh, regarding use uh, that was uh, uh, obtained. Uh, what type of questions were asked of, uh, of the patients that were involved in the study? Sure. Um, so we pulled data from four large existing prospective cohort studies. Um, so prospective cohort means that we get a group of women together and we ask them a lot of questions at baseline before they develop any particular diseases that we're interested in studying. Um, and the four studies included here are the Nurses' Health Study, the Nurses' Health Study 2, the Sister Study, and the Women's Health Initiative Observational Study. Uh, these large cohorts were all designed to collect data on a number of different possible exposures and outcomes and therefore collected a lot of information and enrollment, uh, everything from personal and family medical histories to diet to physical activity to smoking and alcohol use. And then more relevant to this topic, um, possible chemical or, or environmental exposures. And then for all four of these studies, these women continue to be monitored uh, and followed for health outcomes, uh, including cancer diagnoses and mortality. Okay. And you had a, a, an identification of uh, subgroups within the study, right? Yes. In uh, mm -hmm. So we ended up looking at a lot of different subgroups, but um, our one of our initial hypotheses and groups that we are most interested in looking at was women with patent reproductive tracts. And by that, I mean women who had not had a hysterectomy or a tubal ligation. Mm -hmm. And the thinking here is that this group of women um, might be more important for this research topic because for this uh, association, because um, patency is required. There has to be this intact path um, for the powder to make it all the way physically to the ovaries. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, what were your exclusion criteria? So we excluded women who had a history of ovarian cancer or who had bilateral refractomies uh, before they uh, were asked about their powder use. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we also excluded women who did not answer the questions about their water use. Okay. Um, and what were some of the, the, what would you say, the, the highlights of the statistical analyses for, for our listeners? And I, and I know that obviously it was uh, an, an, an extensive analysis, as we can see from the methodology. Uh, but I was wondering if you could just highlight some of those. So the four studies assess genital pattern use differently, but we were able to come up with some common definitions. Um, all four studies assessed ever use of powder, and then some had uh, information on frequency of use and duration of use. Uh, but for the main analysis of ever use, we compared the rates of ovarian cancer development in those who reported use versus those who reported never use. Uh, we did so using a Cox proportional hazards model to estimate hazard ratios in 95% confidence intervals. And we did adjust for a number of possible confounders, uh, which are things that might affect both powder use and ovarian cancer. Uh, in particular, we were concerned about age, body mass index, race, race ethnicity, and some reproductive factors. Mm-hmm. So now the results. What did you find? Lots of patients. How many patients actually total were included? What were the, the main findings? And I think obviously um, the audience will want to know how many patients actually developed ovarian cancer. So our sample included just over 250,000 women, and 2,168 of those developed ovarian cancer over the follow-up period, which was a median of 11 years. Okay. Uh, and we observed a small positive but not statistically significant association between ever genital powder use and risk of ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I that actually I noticed was that uh, the reported use of, of powder varied from one cohort I believe it was 26% all the way up to 53% in another uh, cohort. Um, What do you think was the the reason for this variability? Yeah, so there are large differences uh, according to the ages of the cohorts. So the two studies with the highest powder use, which were Nurses Health 1 and uh, Women's Health Initiative, consisted mostly of women born before 1945, and then women in Nurses 2 and Sister Study were mostly born after 1945. Mm -hmm. So it appears it's much less common to use powder over time. Um, And yeah, I think that's just a a generational trend. Okay. And then that actually then leads on to the the next question, and and this is a a question that often comes up uh, when this subject um, is discussed, is that, you know, certainly... Many women today will question and say, well, does anybody ever really use talcum powder anymore? Um, and whether this might be a, a, a relevant issue for women today. Yeah, um, as I stated, I believe there are generational differences in powder use with use much less frequent now than it was um, several decades ago. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any exact estimates of how commonly it's used today, but I believe it still happens, but I believe it may vary um, by things such as race, race ethnicity or um, different just cultures and groups of people may use mm-hmm. it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned now uh, race and ethnicity. And, and one of the things that I saw from the study was that I believe it, it ranged from 84% to 98% of the women that were included in these studies were white women. Um, and my question was, are we to consider that the results might be different for African-American women or Latino women? Yeah, it's definitely possible that there are differences. 
among African American or Latino women, and I think this is a really important area to investigate and one of the major limitations of my work that I was not able to do that um, in these existing cohorts that were predominantly non-Hispanic white women. Um, so we did observe a higher proportion of youth uh, among black women, about 53% reported ever use versus 38% in white women and 32% in women of other races or ethnicities. Mm -hmm. Um, and although we did not observe a clear difference in the size of the association of, uh, between powder use and ovarian cancer by race, mm -hmm. um, with so few women included in the non-white category, it's really hard to uh, determine whether there's a true difference there. So more research is definitely needed on this topic. Yeah. And, and um, what, one of the subsequent questions that I've also heard uh, related to this topic that I think actually it's a, it's a relevant question is that, um, you know, many women will say, well, does it matter like how long you used it or how frequently you used it as to whether there might be a higher risk, uh, you know, certainly one time event or two times versus continuously for several years or multiple times during the week uh, of use. W what are your thoughts as it pertains to, to that argument? Yes, yeah, so we did not observe stronger associations in women who were long-term or frequent users of genital powder. Um, a couple caveats to that is that this was measured very differently across studies and not all studies had information on this. And so uh, I, I think the answers are even less clear for the uh, duration and frequency questions than they are for the every use questions. Mm -hmm. But we did not observe um, strong evidence that, that frequency or duration of use mattered much. And Katie, one of the things that I wanted to uh, just get your perspective on is that, uh, and I think that in your um, discussion, your conclusion, you, you, you make a statement about this study being underpowered to detect uh, small changes in risk. And, uh, and I was wondering if you can speak a little bit more about that because, you know, obviously some would question how could it be underpowered? It's a study of, uh, you know, a quarter of a million patients. So um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, you're, this is kind of the best uh, data we have at this point. These are four huge cohorts. We pulled them all together and we have uh, over 2,000 cases. But um, ovarian cancer is still a very, very rare disease. And that makes it difficult to study, especially if the association we're interested in is really small. Mm -hmm. And so we have an estimate here of a hazard ratio of 1.08. And we just did not have enough power to um, show that this small increase was statistically different from 1.0. Mm -hmm. And what would you say are the, you know, obviously it's a, it's a great study published in, uh, in a very reputable uh, journal, but what would you say uh, the takeaway strengths of, of the study? What would you say are the highlights from this uh, from this particular study? I think the major strength was the ability to pool data from these four large cohorts. Mm -hmm. uh, to our knowledge, these are the only cohorts with data on genital powder use, and mm -hmm. so there really aren't any better options at this point uh, for addressing this research question. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it must have been a massive undertaking in... Uh, and I don't know how long it, 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 it took you from, from beginning until publication to, uh, to do this study, but I, I could imagine it must have been a tremendous amount of work. Um, now, again, uh, as, a, as a question that I often ask is, you know, as we mentioned, 
it's a it's an excellent study high high uh, uh, impact factor journal um, but there may be critics and and uh, what would you say are the limitations uh, of the study and and how would you address those limitations well I say our biggest limitation is our inability to fully understand women's powder use Um, we don't know what type of powder they're using, what's in that powder, how much talc is in it, how much asbestos is in it, how often they used it, how long they used it for, mm-hmm. when they used it. We just cannot capture that in these large, uh, large cohorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I would love to see addressed in the future. But at the same time, I don't know that the, the, the four cohorts that are in here are studies that have been running for, for dozens of years with hundreds of thousands of women, and I just don't know if anyone can get near the power mm-hmm. uh, and sample size that we had uh, for this at any time in the near future. Um, another major li- limitation that I'd like to see addressed if there are future studies of this is uh, what you mentioned before about generalizability and not knowing how these associations might be different for non-white individuals. Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, you mentioned studies in the future. Uh, my my next question was uh, related to that point as to, um, you know, do we need to keep pursuing this question? Uh, you know, are we to do additional studies? What should those studies look like after having uh, this information from your study? That's really hard. Uh, my results definitely do not settle anything. We still <laughs> don't know whether there's an association between uh, powder use and ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have reasons not to completely trust the previous case control studies, but our study has limitations as well. Um, and some of those may have led us to underestimate the strengths of the association. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really not sure where else we can go from here. We can't do clinical trials of this. That would be really unethical. Mm-hmm. As I said, these are the only four cohorts that we know of that have this kind of data. And it's massive resources that have gone into building these four cohorts and maintaining them. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about how, you know, we don't trust the results of retrospective studies. So we have to do these prospective designs where we ask women about their uh, use before any of them go on to develop disease. Mm-hmm. And now, so I don't know. <laughs> I would love to see it included in future cohorts, especially right. ones with more diverse groups of women, but I, I don't think we'll get any better data for a very long time. Yeah. So then I'm going to put you a, a little bit on the spot as a, as a, as a potential final question. Um, you know, a patient comes in next week and uh, is sitting with us and says, uh, you know, doctor, does talcum powder cause ovarian cancer? Um, layman's term, how would you answer that question to that patient? I would say we don't know for sure. And then reference her to contact you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, a challenge uh, whenever this question uh, comes up, and uh, and I think you know I think you know as you mentioned the generational component, uh, the time frame component. Fortunately, we're not getting uh, this question asked uh, very frequently, but uh, but I agree with you. But obviously now we have your your study to reference uh, and and uh, and discuss some of the points that that we have addressed here. Um, Katie, uh, any closing remarks you would like to make uh, to our listeners or in our audience? Not that I can think of. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations again on this uh, really important article. And uh, it's been a really great opportunity speaking with you. Thank you.